All right, everybody. So today we have Dr. Gary Linkov with us. How you doing, man? Hey, doing great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast, Dave. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we said before recording, every, every episode here starts with a donation to charity. I had mentioned my work with Operation Smile, and you actually mentioned that you had done some fundraising for them in med school. So we're going to stick to that one today. As always, there will be a link to it below. And for people who are maybe just tuning in, uh, that's an organization that helps children born with cleft lip and palate to get surgeries. Um, and it's really not too expensive to get them the surgery. So it really helps out. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, uh, Gary, I, I saw you on YouTube really actually pretty recently. And it was funny because I saw your channel and your channel is a perfect example of how like the YouTube algorithm kind of works because I scrolled back a little bit and I saw that you had started with the podcast and you know, I've seen other channels where you know, they have certain types of videos and podcasts by themselves, as, as I have found, are, are hard unless you are starting like a, you know, Joe Rogan obviously has had it forever um, yeah. or like the, like the Paul brothers, Logan Paul and, and Jake Paul, like where they already have a following. If it's just a podcast, I think YouTube's kind of a tough uh, platform for that. But you recently started doing kind of like plastic surgeon reacts videos and things which you know, I think have really taken off. So um, right. before we get into too much else, how, like what made you have that transition? Was it something that you specifically wanted more YouTube growth or there's something you wanted to talk about? Yeah, it wasn't like really planned out, you know, in any high level um, initially, honestly, it was just, so it started off. So YouTube for me, I think I started with a few videos uh, back in fellowship to just like test it out. I did my own editing. It, they're mm -hmm. terrible, but they're still up there. People yeah. can go and check those out. They're like one minute long and it's like about perseverance and like okay. <laughs> you know how like, you know, doctors initially, you know, we're all kind of a little bit because people think that, oh, you go to medical school or dental school. That means you're like, you're not afraid of blood. And like it's really right. not true. Initially, we all kind of a little, little bit squeamish and then mm -hmm. kind of get over it. So I made like a little short clip on that. So like really, really silly kind of basic things. I mean, I think that there's still kind of, there's a lot of truth in them, but yeah. um, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. So that, that was like my initial foray into, into YouTube. And then I, same thing. That's when like I started my Instagram uh, account, like in fellowship, just to kind of test it out. And, and a lot of people were just kind of in the early stages at that time. Um, this was, uh, I guess, 2018 uh, it seems it seems like forever ago but it, yeah. it's only been three years uh, and then during so so then I started my practice you know and I was getting some surgical footage and I'm like oh like I want to make this into some clips and also I'm like oh I need to make some informational videos like I just my whole thing was like oh, let's keep them short and probably someone gave me that advice along the way just to like you know, kind of encapsulate some some uh, of the things that I was doing surgically in the practice and, and you know, just to put it on the website, people can reference back, whatever. So we started with those types of videos. And it's, it's funny because like I, I met my video editor at that time and he was helping me with these, these little clips. And, and, you know, it really didn't have like too much value, but, the, you know, at the time, that's what I thought, you know, what was all that YouTube was for, right. uh, for me. Uh, and then, you know, COVID happened. So I had a few months off um, from the practice and it just, I, like, I took a step back and I was like, what, what, what should I do to like increase growth, to like increased exposure, you know? So I saw like a buddy of mine out in LA was doing this podcast, interviewing people who he already knew, but he had like a bigger following and he was a few years you know, ahead of me. So, you know, his was maybe a little more interesting, but I'm like, look, I know a lot of people in, in kind of related uh, specialties to what I do. 
a lot of great people. Like, let me just, you know, interview them. And so that's how I started like my little podcast thing. And it was mainly on Instagram, Instagram live. Cause I'm like, Oh, it seems more authentic that way. And, right. and it was kind of cool to see people's comments and try to respond to them in real mm-hmm. time. Um, and then I just connected back with that initial editor who I was working with, who I just discovered online. And, um, and I'm like, you know what, let's just put this stuff up on YouTube. Like, why not? You know, let's, let's have the big, the main clip, uh, you know, the full video, and then we'll just like, break it up into different themes. And he's like, oh yeah, okay, sure. Like, let's do that. And then I don't know, like who came up with this, if it was me or him or, you know, but at some point we were like, well, let's just like try some other types of videos and, and see if that sticks, you know, I don't really, I never, honestly, I didn't know anything about YouTube in terms of ad revenue. Like mm-hmm. I, I kind of maybe vaguely knew that that existed, but I never saw it as a way to like make money, like right. doing YouTube. I was like, well, I'm a surgeon. I have my home practice. Like, you know, I need more surgeries. I need more patients in the door. Um, I, I didn't really think that YouTube could help me get patients. I was just like, I don't know. I, I didn't really, I didn't really think too much of it. I didn't know that much about it. I didn't follow anyone really on YouTube. I didn't, okay. like, you know, occasionally I'd go and Google, you know, YouTube search something that I was, you know, I wanted to learn about, but not right. like actively following anybody. Um, and that was all fairly recent. You know, I think it was only in October that we decided to like do something more on it. Yeah. Well, that's and one of the comments I made was like, I was like, this channel is going to blow up because I could see, you know, some people you can just see like the trajectory. And, and I guess maybe we should back up a little bit. We've referenced, you, you know, your background here, but uh, for people who don't know, so you're a plastic surgeon, right? Right. Yeah. So my background, uh, you know, medically is uh, ear, nose and throat, head and neck surgery. So my board, my kind of core board certification is in that. Um, so it's like, basically everything involving like the clavicles up mm-hmm. uh, without, you know, doing too much with, uh, with the eyes and we don't do the brain and, and you know, dentistry is something right, else. Right. Uh, but everything else, you know, we, we, we work on and um, it's an interesting field. And I just always love the anatomy of it. Um, I love being able to work with like with the kids, with, the, you know, old people, like just the full, full range. Uh, I always thought it was really cool. So I went into that and then, you know, I was always into art and, and liked kind of, kind of creative sort of critical thinking, um, and, and really enjoyed a lot of like the cosmetic and the reconstructive aspects of a facial plastic surgery. So I'm a facial plastic surgeon. I don't do any body work. Um, uh, you know, I do some hair work related to body, but that's kind of a different thing. And then during my fellowship, I had the opportunity to go and take a course in Miami with this one guy who name whose name is you know kind of uh, incidentally uh, Jeff Epstein, which is you know, okay. <laughs> now most, uh, you know it's kind of a notorious name, but but uh, he's a hair you know the, the the one in Miami is a hair transplant surgeon, a very good one, and uh, he kind of took me under his wing and said, oh, do you want to like learn hair more? I really enjoyed the course and and we kept in touch, and then after fellowship, I went and did kind of an apprenticeship and actually joined his practice but with like a remote arm, like I was his New York city arm, which oh, was new okay. for him. It's not like he, people are like, Oh, did he have practices in all these different States? No, it was primarily Miami. And he had a, um, like a junior partner there in Miami. And then I was like his only other kind of junior partner. So that was really interesting growing my practice while also trying to grow hair under him and still kind of 
learning hair and doing hair with yeah. he would fly his techs, uh, his technicians to me in, in New York to do these cases. So it was an interesting start. Um, that's how I got into like the whole hair world. And then, you know, I, I have my own autoimmune condition. So I ended up losing all my hair. So that, okay. that's like the other crazy. <laughs> yeah, business, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's become like, I guess, a talking point on, um, on the YouTube channel. So right. Uh, it, it definitely attracts attention because people are like, oh, who's this transplant surgeon without hair? Like, well, right. you know, this is so stupid. But then <laughs> as they learn a little bit more, you know, they, they realize like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Like, yeah. so, so whatever, that's, that's kind of that whole thing. But, but yeah, so, so that's, that's the work I do now. Um, I also do some work for the VA, for the veterans. Uh, that's more reconstructive in nature. Um, and, and a little bit, some of my core ENT stuff I still do there, but my private practice in Manhattan is all about, um, facial, mainly cosmetic work, um, surgical, some non-surgical stuff, but mostly surgical. And then, and then uh, the full breadth of like hair restoration. So everything from just, you know, people who are losing hair and they don't know what to do. They're not transplant candidates, but they need help with like medical therapy and, and other related things that really aren't surgical to like really kind of more unusual kind of hair transplant surgeries, like eyebrow transplants, beard, wow. pubic hair transplant, like things that others don't necessarily take on, but with under Epstein, like I learned all these different other um, sort of esoteric type of hair procedures. And so, yeah, other than just the usual scalp to scalp, you know, I treat men, women, I mean, all, you know, all different backgrounds. And then I do surgical hairline lowering surgery. So, you know, kind of really all, all the different hair um, offerings. So that's what I do in my practice. And then, so in October, we decided to do these additional types of videos for YouTube, just to see like what would happen. I mean, I, like the audio was all off because I just used like the, the camera stuff. I didn't have any, you know, my own, um, you know, additional kind of gadgets or accessories. Right. Um, the video, like I didn't know how to get the lighting right. Like, it's just, there were so many things that were off, but people seem to kind of enjoy it. And I think like, I'm kind of unique on YouTube in terms of my background, just in general, there aren't too many people out there who like have like dove deep into facial plastics on the cosmetic end right. and into the hair world, but like deep, not just like, Oh, I offer hair transplants. Cause I took a you know, two day course and mm -hmm. bought a machine and import my technicians. Like, like, you know, that's not how I do things. So I only offer procedures that I can potentially get A plus results on. I outsource everything else. And, um, you know, there aren't too many people that, I guess, combination of, of skills who do this stuff on like a daily basis. And so, you know, so in that sense, it's just a unique skill set for, for YouTube. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I think I can relate to people and you know, and, and kind of, I give them like pretty factual things and my honest uh, advice, not just like what's catchy in the field today. Right. Uh, and I back it up with like literature sometimes and just, you know, sound reasoning and people I think have enjoyed that. Uh, and now we have like a whole lot of other videos lined up and ideas for the future to really grow beyond just what we're doing now. But um, you know, I can share some of those ideas, but, but yeah, for now, it's just like, I, I'm still so backed up with like, cause I've, I've kind of a, a attacked YouTube with like my lips work, a lot of lip surgery and, mm -hmm. and hair, but I mean, I do a ton of like rhinoplasty work, especially with veterans and, you know, okay. face lips, eyelid surgery. So there's still so much just kind of almost like kind of the basic content to yeah. expose people to. And then there's right. like all these things you can do with that, you know, beyond just the content.
the main sure yeah i mean like i said i i really think your your channel is going to blow up and when i you know one of the things i saw you talk about you know you mentioned with joe rogan but you've also referenced um derek from more plates more dates and it's funny i i see his channel is like kind of an in-between the topics that like i said i've largely stuck with health and fitness um and yours is a lot of like the plastic surgery and his channel it's like you know bodybuilding but then he also gets into talking about hair transplant stuff it's kind of like a nice blend there and um he and i actually have some other similarities as well but i haven't talked to him directly but looking at like what you talked about with um you know it it, for you i think a lot of people unlike with dentistry where you're talking generally speaking like a a five to ten mile radius maybe a little bit more sometimes like 20 miles as far as people who will come to see you with a plastic surgeon for something that you know a hair transplant could be ten fifteen thousand dollars i mean you probably will get people who will come from other states even like far away because they yeah. want an A plus result. So it probably is even more amenable to YouTube and, and reaching out to other people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've definitely had a lot of like inquiries because of the YouTube video. So, you know, that and like, I almost feel a little guilty, like making some like ad revenue, but honestly, mm-hmm. it helps me kind of pay my video editor. And the, the craziest thing is that we were joking around about this with him, like, you know, a year or more ago, just because I'm like, oh, I need like help here. You know, I need someone to help me film things. And not just like all the editing and we were like, Oh, maybe one day. Cause he lives in Serbia. Oh, okay. But literally I was on the phone with him for like an hour today, trying to, we're trying to get him here to New York um, to, to help me out. And so it, wow, the, wow. the logistics of that are challenging. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, with visas and all that. So, but we're actually in talks. So, you know, I, I think I can support him on like a full-time type of, you know, basis, uh, and, and the YouTube stuff, the revenue thing that helps with, with that, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. so, cause I, I don't work with insurance companies, so it's all just, you know, cash-based type stuff and the expenses are high, obviously in Manhattan. So, yeah. So, you know, that, that kind of thing just helps kind of keep the, the system going, but we've had a, 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 you know, a lot of interest now from YouTube, especially for hair and, and, and even my, my lip work, like, people say, well, I found you here, but then I've been watching your videos. And and nowadays we even will include the video to like, you know, people's post-op instructions. We'll be like, oh, and make sure you watch this video and like healing process after your lip lift surgery. And, you know, they like right. it because they can always reference it. It's not just like something that's on a piece of paper that doesn't feel like alive. But I think that the main reason why people reach out, because um, it's not like I have you know, thousands and thousands of, you know, before and afters um, for anything, right? Because my practice is three, three and a half years old. Like it's not, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't pretend, you know, it's not like I'm 55 years old, right? So, um, but I think people, they, they realize I know like what I'm talking about um, and, and they realize like I'm ethical in my approach, which is kind of like a really kind of high priority for me. And they just, I think they feel like they can trust, you know, in the fact that I'm going to make sure that we do things the right way for them. And I think that's the most powerful, uh, you know, message that I'm putting out there uh, as far as like people actually looking for a surgeon, you know, because um, a lot of times, like, even if you go to, you know, quote unquote, the best, uh, you know, it's, it's like, you're just still seen as like a number, you know, there's really no special attention given uh, in many places. Some are, you know, very just high level in, in all respects, but many places it's just like, you know, it's just, you're just kind of a, a dollar amount and, and right. you go in, you go out no one really, especially the really established practices, even if they get a crappy result, like it doesn't really matter. I mean, their reputation's not really going to suffer after right. they've built it up for so many years. So, 
you know, it's just a different level of attention. Um, I try to give people like that really personalized attention. Um, I make sure I only work with like the best instruments, the best people. Um, so, so I think like folks realize that, you know, even though they're like, okay, maybe he's like newer in the field. And, and I also, you know, I don't charge an arm and a leg in relative terms for the work that I do compared to, you know, other people in, in this town and, you know, and, and people like at, at the same level of um, quality, I would say yeah. uh, worldwide, you know? So, so yeah, so that's, that's, I think some people would be surprised to find, you know, cause hair transplants, I, I believe are one of the more expensive plastic surgeries out there. Um, and, and, you know, obviously some of the most common ones, rhinoplasty, breast augmentation, things like that. But I think, especially as far as the audience here, I'm, there are a lot of people who I find are interested in hair transplants or medical therapy. I mean, I have a number of friends who, you know, I just turned 30. So we're getting to that age where you're starting to notice it. And I have at least a handful of friends who are on finasterides. That's something I want to talk about as well. Cause I know a lot of people recommend, okay, medical therapy, the general recommendation seems to be starting with finasteride, seeing how you do with that, maybe minoxidil or what a lot of people think of as Rogaine. Um, and yeah. it seems that most of the studies like suggest that it's, it's relatively safe. And I know that's kind of the standard recommendation, me being the hypochondriac that I am, uh, I, I am always just like wary of things. I know some, you know, very occasional reports of uh, post finasteride syndrome syndrome. If so, maybe we get your opinion on that. Um, so do you think I'm, I'm totally crazy worrying about it? Or you think most people would be totally fine with it? Not totally crazy, but like if you, so the patient perspective is always different from like the doctor's perspective, but then I try to put myself into the shoes of someone with male pattern loss and like, what would I do type of thing based on what I know. Uh, and I can tell you that in terms of surgery in general, surgery is not just plastic surgery, but in general, I'm a little apprehensive kind of looking at it from my, because it's just, you have to have a tolerance for risk when you're mm -hmm. going under. And this is not answering your question exactly, but, but, but that's why like, you know, for my family members, I'm always just very cautious about them. You know, like my mom, when I was leaving, like I told you earlier, I was at their house today and she's like, Oh, I we got, I got to do something about this. And like, <laughs> knowing my mom and like, just how, you know, just, she's just like, she's, she'd be the most impossible patient. And, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and, and really like, you know, she has like zero tolerance for any risk, you know, so if mm -hmm. anything goes wrong in any, you know, fashion, she'll just be so devastated and yeah. freaked out. And I mean, that's not someone who should, you know, have surgery. So um, it's, it's, you know, higher risk, but, but potential for higher reward. That's how I just think about surgery in general. Uh, but especially cosmetic surgery that you don't really need, right? Like, you know, you want it, you don't really need it. And so it's like, you know, um, that that's an important consideration. Um, so now with medical therapies, again, especially for cosmetic purposes, you have to really weigh that out. Um, the, most doctors at hair clinics will, will push patients to do, you know, finasteride or the brand name Propecia, usually Propecia first, if possible, even though it's more expensive mm -hmm. because it's more reliable just in terms of the composition. Compared uh, to a generic or yeah, generic sometimes, and depending on which lab it's coming from, it's just not always the same again, quality mm. and can affect um, the results. So usually we recommend starting with Propecia for six months um, if possible, you know, some people don't want to pay for it or whatever, but um, you know, that's always sort of a better route. And then, you know, and then seeing and transitioning to finance, but, but yeah, so from, from a hair clinic perspective, uh, when you look, review all the literature, I mean, it's generally very safe and the, any side effects that occur are, are 
like 99% reversible, you know? So yes, maybe there's some very small chance of something being permanent, but most of those cases in the literature are because of some other co comorbidities that have right. resulted in persistent ED or whatever the, the issue may have been. Um, so if it were me, like that's how I would approach it. I, I would go on it. If, if I, if I were committed to keeping the hair that I had, I mean, someone might decide like, I'm okay being bald and, and I'm totally for that, you know, as, as I've kind of had to deal with my own issues with autoimmunity. I mean, it, you know, it's like, I don't really have too much of a choice, even though I do have a choice, I can take a Jack inhibitor and it probably would restore some of my, you know, hair loss, but I don't really want to deal with those side effects because that's a stronger immunosuppressive medication. Sure. Um, but that's like a conscious decision that I've made for myself, especially, you know, having my issues in the time of like COVID and, you right. know, and I don't want to suppress my immune system. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, and, and I, I guess I'm like, I, I'm, I've accepted it. Like I'm, you know, I'm more or less okay. And doing certain things like um, immunotherapy, allergy shots, which is not, uh, you know, accepted practice, but something that just kind of understanding some of the um, underlying mechanisms of allergy and autoimmune conditions, you know, made sense to me to try. And, and I think it's been helping at least in, in yeah. part, uh, whatever. So uh, yes. Yeah, so, so I think for certain situations where you have younger people um, who are starting to see signs of thinning recession, and they're really committed to trying to keep their hair and open to potential transplants or really trying to avoid a transplant, Propecia is just, it's the highest like rate of efficacy, you know, that, that we have as far as medical therapy. People are, some folks ask me, well, what about PRP? Like, can I just go and just keep getting the PRP? Mm -hmm. Yes, I see it as like a, a boost and a, definitely an improvement for sure. Uh, but still doesn't really rival the, the impact of Propecia for, for the majority. Can you majority. tell people what PRP is? It's, it's platelet-rich plasma. It's taking your blood's plasma, um, platelets from the plasma. So basically drawing the blood, spinning it down in a special machine called the centrifuge, taking the um, platelet-like component of the blood, like you don't need the red blood cells, taking just the platelets and re-injecting them into the scalp the platelets have growth factors that are released and temporarily they help sort of boost the, um, the kind of local uh, follicle milieu and, and give them more growth factors to thrive on. But eventually they get used up and it, it's variable, you know, how, how quickly that happens and they have to be replenished. So it's not something that you just get once and, right. and you're done. So it's fairly I don't expensive, see, right? Isn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to, yeah. I mean, we, I can tell you my practice for me to do it, we charge 1500 bucks a session. Mm -hmm. We use a really good system, but, but that's a whole other kind of discussion. And then um, for my nurse to do it, my like specific hair nurse, it's 900 bucks a session, but, but yeah, you have to do it like several times a year. Yeah. If, you know, if you want to maintain it, so it's not cheap. Um, there are alternatives like laser light caps. Um, there's vitamins, biotin, basic Nutrafol. I mean, all those are fine but they're just, you're not going to see as consistent of a gain as with finasteride. It's sure. just, um, it, it, minoxidil is also in that kind of category of like giving results, but, but they're just not terribly mm -hmm. impressive. Um, a lot of us in the hair world have been switching over to oral uh, minoxidil over the topical and seeing better really? results and also kind of still very safe because the doses are much lower than 
dose is used for like any blood pressure control, which is kind of what the medication was originally intended for. But yeah, it was, was say, I was under the impression minoxidil had some significant systemic side effects if taken orally, but maybe like you said, the dose. Not at the low doses. Yeah. So you don't need like high doses for it to work on follicles. And yet, um, you know, it's still very safe for, Mm -hmm. for hemodynamics. Uh, Yeah. It was discovered as like an IV agent, you know, in the ICUs, someone made the observation that, Hey, people getting this blood pressure agent uh, or, or, you know, um, uh, control agent, like they were, their hair was coming back. And so then eventually it was tested as more of a topical um, type of solution. And, and, and that worked. Um, but, but I can just tell you just from like clinical experience and people's feedback, they don't love it. I mean, it's yeah. the initial period, a lot of people shed um, and um, just the foam or the solution, it just kind of gets a little bit onerous to apply and, and just people just not the best things to say about it. Uh, but I know that it, it works, still works. I mean, it's been clinically proven to work. Um, but a, a lot of people do very well in the oral minoxidil, uh, especially those who just refuse to take finasteride or they've actually developed side effects. If you're 45 and you have, you know, some, some thinning, um, it, it's a consideration to say, well, maybe I just want to transplant. If things are overall, they've been stable over, you know, a long period of time then maybe consider avoiding starting finasteride at that age. But people in their, you know, late teens, 20s, 30s, I mean, it's it's tough because then if you just do a transplant and you start to lose the rest of your hair um, in that kind of sensitive zone, it, it's, it's, it's not good. And then it's very hard to kind of match that pre-existing original density, at, at, you know, at that rate. Uh, as far as like transplants, what's the youngest you've had somebody get a transplant? In my practice, uh, 22, um, but I mean, there are some people in their late teenage years that are in Norwood six, seven. I mean, it's, you know, there are some really accelerated cases that, you know, are potential transplant candidates, you know, but, but you just don't want to be, you know, I have a whole video on this. You don't want to be lowering people's hairlines at a young age, um, for, especially for, for guys primarily. Um, cause you know, I do these hairline lowering for women and people like, Oh, like you see, and you said you shouldn't do that. Like, no, I'm talking about like young men, primarily, even a guy who's older, like even like late thirties, you can consider some degree of lowering, uh, depending on their hair. But like guys in their early 20s, which is a lot of the, the requests that I get, like, no, you shouldn't lower it by an inch. It's, it's ridiculous because you just, just don't know where they're going with their pattern. And then if they have like a super dense area here and then this all starts to go, it's, right. it's just a terrible look. Right. Because you're limited. So maybe people who don't know this, you're limited to a certain number of donors, right? And, and so when you run out, at least my understanding is, is the technology we have today is you're just kind of done uh, and then you're kind of stuck, right? For the most part. Yeah. For the most part, it's true. We then go into the neck area and pull from there and sometimes into the chest and back if they have hair there, but arms and legs, the hair is too thin. Um, people ask me about like pubic hair to the scalp, it, not ideal. The regrowth rate is much lower. So it's not just the texture that's kind of off, but also the regrowth rate. So the neck has the second highest regrowth rate after scalp hair, and then chest and back would be sort of your, your next best option, third best option. Um, so it's not, it's not just the texture or how much of something you have. 
it's also the the potential for it to actually grow in the new location. That's like kind of revision type of work for people who, yeah, they've gone through their entire supply and they look super thin back here and there's not much more you can take. So yes, there's a limit and you need to be cognizant of that. And so that's the problem with starting too low because then you have to have enough hair to build, 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 build. Right. Um, and that's also why I don't love starting with a procedure on the crown. When, when I see signs of loss towards the front, but then, but there's still, you know, a decent amount of hair. And then especially in a younger guy, and then like, there's like almost nothing on the crown. You got to be super careful because if you dump a lot of hairs into that crown and you're using sort of your, your best hairs on the crown, uh, but then they can thin out here, then you just don't have enough for the more important part, which is like front and mid scalp. Uh, so, so that's another scenario. We just have to be super careful. In plan. So, so the regrowth um, kind of percentage is lower. So for scalp, you're looking at about 90%. For the um, neck hair, it's about like 70 to, to 85. And then for chest and back, it's closer to like 60 to 70% um, of, of regrowth. So that's the first issue. Second issue is like, yeah, the texture and the quality of the hair. Most of the time, like if you give it enough time, sometimes it can take years. The um, texture actually kind of accommodates and becomes a little bit closer to the um the place where you put the hair wow so, so that's something really interesting that, that that occurs uh so it can be a little bit wiry for a while and then it almost like corrects itself most of the time but it can take years so so th there are a couple of elements there so and then where to place that hair it's better to, to kind of focus that more on the crown where it mm -hmm. matters a little bit less yeah. than at the hairline. So hairline, you really want to use your scalp hair. Is that more expensive or like, cause I know a lot of times if you're doing like um, FUE versus FUT, you know, generally I know FUE is like kind of like the spots and then FUT yeah. you're taking that, that big kind of splice there. Exactly. Um, exactly. But my understanding is it's per follicle that it's charged, right? Like a lot of people say it's, you know, $5 a follicle or $10 a follicle. Is that the same for taking it from chest or back? Usually for body work, um, we charge a little bit more, but on the order of like a, a dollar per graft more. No, okay. you know, no, not a, a ton more, but, but yeah, because it's just technically more challenging and it takes longer, you know? So our, our team is, you know, working harder. They're, they're, they're longer. Uh, so, so that's where the additional fee comes in. Uh, but, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's usually per graph. Some places charge per case and regardless of how many graphs, Oh. And it's another way to do it. It's kind of like akin to like Botox, like some places charge by the unit and some charge just by the area. Right. So it's kind of like that. I generally charge by the area, but for hair procedures, I still do per graft. That's just kind of how I was trained and I've kind of stuck with that. Gotcha. Okay. So big question. Does it bother you that as a dentist, I have taken courses and will do Botox and fillers? Um. No, it's just, it's so commonplace Yeah. that, you know, I, look, I mean, the, the alternative, uh, one of the alternatives is for people just to do it themselves, which right. is a growing community online. Really? For that. And, and I'm, I'm pretty anti that, um, especially when it comes to filler, just because of the higher risk. Mm. So, you know, if, if you have a doctor who's, you know, gone through the, some courses and understands risks and benefits and, and kind of general techniques, 
you know, it, it's, it's just, I'm just so used to hearing about it. It doesn't, right. I wouldn't say it bothers me. It's just like, yeah, like I have one of my good friends in town is a cosmetic dentist and he does, you know, Botox filler. But then when, when it gets a little more complicated and he's not sure, he'll send it your way. <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. great, whatever, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I, I just think that you shouldn't do it yourself. <laughs> that, yeah. That's really what it Well, I would down. definitely say I am surprised because, so, you know, I took a course, but you could, you could actually, I'm shocked by how minimally you can educate yourself on it and be allowed to do it. Because I did want to make sure that, and with a lot of the things I do, it's not like, even when I look at what I learned in like dental school residency, like I feel like I had to educate myself beyond that. And certainly, you know, like I was part of the American Academy of Facial Aesthetics and there were things that I wanted to learn more of. But the fact that you actually can just take like a, a four hour course and now you can do it, I, I would say that's very questionable. And you should maybe either ask for before and afters, figure out the training somebody's done, because I, I think it's a little bit too lax in terms of the requirements, personally. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have some like extremists, you know, on the other end, like certain dermatologists that I've met where they're like, unless you're a dermatologist, you know, a plastic surgeon, or pretty much that's it, like, n you, no one else should inject. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't really subscribe to that. Uh, you know, but, but I agree with you. I mean, you have to kind of go through the right training and all of that, but, but what is the, what does that mean exactly? And where the regulations, you know, fall, it, it's, it's kind of unclear. There's a lot of, you know, kind of gray area and uh, you know, a lot of like the risks and complications, like they're, they're, they're usually somewhat more rare. The really bad things are pretty rare, which is good. Mm -hmm. And then I think that when they occur, they're sort of swept under the rug. You know, yeah. oftentimes that's not what you're seeing on the Instagram feed. Right, and right. We'll just see all these kind of great, usually immediate post-op results. Like, right. you know, right after they're all swollen up and everything's glistening and beautiful. They don't show the bruises the next day mm -hmm. um, or the, the bumps that form, you know, a couple of days after. So, so yeah. So, like, everyone's seeing these perfect results and um, that's what they're expecting. And, and they're not really thinking about the things that can go wrong. For sure. Uh, and then, yeah, and, and, and it's scary to me that, like, some people injecting, like, don't even know what those risks are. I mean, that, yeah. that, that's the scariest thing. Because then you don't know what they are. You won't know how to pick up on them. And a lot of these things, you know, you can save the skin from vascular occlusion if that were to occur, like, by just having the right stuff around, like, highlight yeah. injecting enough of it and knowing where to inject and what territory may have been affected. So, you know, if, if someone has no idea about any of that, it's just, it's kind of frightening. It's, it's just like, it's crappy patient care. For but sure. as long as people understand that, understand where their comfort uh, lies. I mean, there are certain things that I won't do with filler that plenty of people with a lot less training than me, you know, do. Yeah. Um, but the reason is because I'm scared of those areas because I know what the data shows. Um, I've, I've seen some of the complications and they're frightening when they occur. So for example, I don't inject the glabella with filler. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't inject the sidewall of the nose with filler. And I almost never inject the tip of the nose with filler either because the vasculature is more unpredictable. Right. And, you know, the, the complication risks are just higher. So, you know, but then you have plenty of like med spas where the nurses are injecting wherever the hell, you know, someone right. wants filler. So it's just Botox in general is a lot safer. Yeah. Um, 
but with filler, just got to be so careful, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you hear some horror stories with filler, um, you know, yeah. you, you hit the wrong vessel, it goes to the eye, and, you know, and um, like you said, there's the necrotic due to the vasculature of the tip of right. the nose there. Um, right. So I do think people have to be wary about that. Um, yeah, for sure. Do you, do you find that, because obviously, as you said, with plastic surgery, it's it's almost never necessary. I mean, certainly if somebody got in got an accident or something like that, but for the yeah. most part, people don't need it. Um, and I would say in the world of lifting and bodybuilding, you do get a lot of people who they have a body dysmorphia and they kind of don't know when to stop. Do you find any crossover there where you get people who are super obsessed with their, their physique and their fitness and stuff? And they're also super obsessed with their facial appearance and, and maybe you even have to talk some of them down from getting so much done. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's a great question. Yeah, no, Definitely my background with like undergrad and all that is, is psychology. And I think it, mm. it really is super applicable to this field. I think unless you are somewhat interested in like human psychology and what drives people, I don't think you can do this line of work because on one hand I have to be able and willing to see some of the nuances of what people, you know, are coming to me with. Cause that's like my job, like, you know, um, something small on the nose like a little bit of a deviation or a little, you know, kind of protrusion, it probably doesn't bother 99% of people just in the world, you know, but it bothers the rest of people and, and I need to be able to see it. Right. Uh, there are times when someone comes to me with a specific complaint and I just don't see it. And I know that I'm good at seeing things. So if mm -hmm. I don't see it, um, then that's a problem. And then I can't operate on them unless I'm able to kind of like agree with them on a plan. And if I don't see what they're talking about, there's, there's no agreeing on a plan. So, you know, I just, I refer them elsewhere. Um, so there, there's that type of situation. There's a situation, like you said, where people just come, keep coming in for more and more surgery. And I do see that play out in my practice and I do my very best to kind of like put a stop to it. Um, but you have to be careful also not to piss people off and really, you know, and you have to stand by your work. So if there was maybe something that didn't come out the way the person imagined it, or if there's something you can improve on surgically, you know, we'll offer a revision procedure usually at cost, um, you know, and kind of try to just make, make it even better for them. But I have definitely seen some people where, you know, they just keep coming back and I'm like, there's a limit to how much more, how much better this is going to get. Right. And so you just kind of need to stop. And then there are people who love the results of one surgery and they're like, oh, I want to do this with you. And then I want to do this with you. And you have to be careful of that as well. Um, but, but sometimes it's, it's valid. Like, you know, they, they start with something right. small because they're kind of, they're, they don't know, like, they don't know if they can fully trust you. They don't want to pay a lot of money. So they start with a smaller procedure and then they're like, oh, well, you know, my whole face is sagging, actually. And they, yeah. they might not be wrong. And then it's like, all right, well, let's talk about a bigger procedure to address, you know, these other concerns. So it's, it's tough. I mean, I've kind of been um, mistaken in both directions before. I've had situations where I thought like I judged the person pretty well in that regard. I'm always thinking about that every consultation, like, is the person realistic? Are they kind of doing this for the right reasons, which becomes very subjective, but I need to kind of keep my antenna up for things like that. 
And I've had times when like it, everything seems fine. They seem totally reasonable. They've never had plastic surgery. There's just one thing that bothers them. And we, we're just trying to fix it. We fix it or we, or we improve on it. And they're not happy. They're not happy even though it's been improved. And it's kind of like, well, why, why aren't you happy? And then you start to realize it's kind of opened up a whole other can of worms. You know, they don't like their physique. They don't like other things about themselves. And they start to talk about it. And, but, but yet they're telling you that you needed to improve the surgery that you did. And you're like, right. whoa, 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 this is much deeper. You know, this goes much deeper. And like, it's not something that I'm going to be able to really help you with. And that becomes a difficult conversation after they've paid you money, you know, for a surgery. Um, and then I've had times when like someone just kind of seems off, like just, you just get those vibes. Like, you know, you probably just shouldn't touch this person. Mm -hmm. um, and yet they keep coming back and they keep saying like, no, 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 you're the doctor for me, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I researched you and you kind of then reconsider it and decide, you know what, like, okay, maybe they're being reasonable enough and let's just do the surgery. And then they're like, you know, happiest patient, never bother me again with any mm. other complaints. They're just like super content. Um, I don't know what ends up happening to them. Like if they're not in my practice, but they're happy with the work I've done, maybe they go right. on to other things and do other things. But, but I've had times like that where someone just seems like kind of off. I don't really vibe with them. And yet, you know, we still do the surgery and everything ends up great. So yeah. I don't know. You know, it, it's, it's just, it, it's very hard because you want to pick out the people who are just not good for the practice and just, it's not the right thing for them. Like they have other problems, but then referring them to a psychi psychiatrist or a psychologist um, is super hairy kind of territory. And, yeah. and, and it's, I've, I've only done that on like very few occasions um, when they're telling me that they're suicidal and, oh, you know, wow. Other, other things. I mean, that that's come up. Uh, and obviously, those patients, I just kind of, you know, gently push them in a different direction. Yeah. Um, so but but that's pretty rare. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's so then if I just don't feel yeah. Well, I've had a few patients now who like very big cases where some oftentimes women, but sometimes men, um, like bulimia patients where like years and years, their teeth are just completely eroded, like these patients don't smile. And in the one sense, it's awesome because these are genuinely like life-changing, you know, procedures for these people. Um, you know, one of the videos actually I have on my Instagram is a girl who, uh, you know, she's like crying, her mom's crying. It was really nice to see. But a lot of times, not in that particular case, but a lot of times these women, they have other issues going on, you know, and, and then when that's yeah. done, they ask for, you know, now it's the fillers and the Botox. And, and like you said, it's not always that that's a problem, not at all, but it, it is, you do see certain patterns um, and, and sometimes it's hard to know. And, and one of the things that I think is difficult is I'll have patients who come in and, you know, it, it's hard to be objective here, but let's say they, their smile was a, a four out of 10, right? And you take it to an eight out of 10 and then they're so happy, right? They're, they're just ecstatic. And, right. and then you get the patients who come in and they're at a nine out of 10 and they want a 10 out of 10. And that, that can be pretty tough, you know, and, yeah. and they'll say, I want to look like this person. And it's like, you might not be able to look like that person and, and kind of going through all that with them. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I agree with you, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Uh, I, def I definitely know exactly the, the type of scenario you're talking about where someone's coming in there. Yeah. They're essentially like already an A and they're trying to get to the A plus and it's just, you have like such little room for improvement. And yet with any procedure, 
there's always that risk of something, you know, not going well, getting an infection, which mm -hmm. leads to worse healing or something pretty rare. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, th those are really tough cases. Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely like it when there's more of a Delta, Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I just actually, I've been getting the, the, some of the more recent facelift patients that I've, I've gotten and, and actually have coming up. They're like, they honestly look pretty good as yeah. is. They're not like everything sagging type of situation. And I'm like waiting for those to come in. Cause I'm like, those are the people who really Be tremendously helpful. benefit, you know, from, from these types of procedures. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, they'll, they'll come around uh, eventually, but, but yeah, no, that, that's, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. Sometimes people just, uh, you know, they're starting in a different place and you're doing the same like, type of surgery or procedure for them. Um, but the starting point is, is totally different. And then the other point to make, and this, I don't know, I mean, some people might take issue with this, but it's, it's just kind of the way it is that when we post, you know, before and afters and the person at baseline is just kind of, you know, somewhat of a more attractive person, mm -hmm. the numbers of likes and whatever comments are always higher than if sure. someone just maybe isn't the most attractive person. And yet you did the same surgery. They right. got the same degree of gain, but they're still not, I mean, you know, you can't change everything, mm -hmm. um, nor should you. And, and, and that just gets a lot less attention. Um, so I always hope in those situations that the person who received, who got the surgery, who received the change is just, you know, happy enough with, with those changes, you know, cause it, that, I mean, that, that's a part of it, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's really, and that's, that's a big reason that I want to talk to you because I, I think there are those similarities between, and not to say like, obviously I think everybody should live a healthy lifestyle, work out, exercise, things like that, yeah. but, but you definitely see some similarities between, you know, the influence that social media and, you know, TV and all these things have on people. And it's like, it's never good enough. And, and people who are in the quote unquote real world might already be an A, they feel like a C minus relative to like Instagram and, and it really can develop some bad psychology there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all about just like loving yourself and being, you know, kind of comfortable in your own shoes. But now some people, and that's why, like, I, I get the, these comments sometimes on YouTube, like, oh, plastic surgery, it should only be for, like, reconstruction, all this cosmetic stuff is, you know, BS, and you shouldn't do it. Uh, I think it's, it's a very uh, narrow mindset, mm -hmm. because it's just same thing, like, why do people see therapists or, or seek out help for anything? You know, I mean, it's... Uh, you know, not everyone goes through life just super confident in themselves all the right. time at every stage um, and is just able to power through all of what life kind of throws at you. Uh, and so it's very similar with like physical things too. Yeah. Uh, so most of my patients are extremely normal, like grateful people who have like a specific thing that, that bothers them, whether it develops with the aging process or they had a prior injury or they were just born a certain way and it just makes them stand out or, you know, just bothers them specifically. Uh, and they're just looking to kind of make that, that change or that improvement. Um, and then they're super happy. I mean, the satisfaction rate for pretty much all the surgeries that I do, I mean, it's, they're very high, but of yeah. course you get people that even like, and that's the hardest situation, I think, because sometimes, you know, surgery doesn't go exactly as planned, um, you know, surgery, 
And, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, that maybe that could be improved. And, and the patient agrees. And, you know, we, we plan to, to essentially redo it. I mean, that comes up not often, but it does. But then the hardest thing is when I like the result, I think the person really looks better. It's exactly what they wanted, what we talked about. And they just they hate it. You know, it, it, again, rare, rare type of scenario, but comes up, you know, comes up. And it's super hard to deal with because then they're wanting me to do something more for them. And I'm like, there's nothing more for me to do. I mean, right. this is really good. Like, sometimes I'll ask them to get a second opinion. But then, you know, then they feel like you're just kind of trying to push them, I don't off. Know, push them off or be defensive. And I'm like, no, like, I, I it just so th things like that. And then sometimes I'm like, well, maybe the scar could look a little better. And the person's thrilled. You know, yeah. and then yeah, also right. just because and, and my buddy who's a rhinoplasty surgeon in town just recently told me he's like he's showing me pictures of a of a rhino he did and he used a rib cartilage, it was advanced, it was like a complex revision rhino. And like from a profile view, it looks perfect. Mm. But from a frontal view, there's a slight, slight deviation to the tip. Yeah. The patient is ecstatic compared to what he had before, mm -hmm. loves it. Like my buddy is just like what can I like? Am, like he wants to bring him back to the OR to yeah. make the change more for himself than for the. He's like he's like I know it's not like ethical, but yeah. But but, but I mean there, there is that tendency because you know we're like perfectionists. I mean sure. in, in this kind of work and and in what you do too, and it's just kind of well, like I had. You're making me think of like a a recent case I had that where and it's tough because we you know when you're doing like veneers or something, you put them on, you don't cement them, you make sure the patient likes them, and in this case. I did not say it because the patient loved them and I saw something that was like a little off. So then, but she loved it. So then we cemented it and yeah. then she said, <laughs> you know, I don't know. So I'm like, awesome. Great. So we did redo it for her because I, like I said, I saw it, but I was like, you know, it would have been a little easier <laughs> if you said it beforehand. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. And no, I think nowadays, like when I, see it i'll usually call it up but but then yeah there are times when i just keep i hold back you know because yeah. the person's really happy because you don't want to create a, an extra complex for totally. them or, or put more down because you know it, the whole like all these procedures i mean it's it's a lot for the person to deal with i got worked up recently i had a patient come in um a week out after lip lift surgery um looking totally appropriate for that time point a little mm -hmm. bruising swollen incision line looked very good i mean no issues and she looked she came in and she she flew in from kentucky for the surgery and it was in town for a week for me to then remove the sutures so it comes in for suture removal and, I, and during the, that week a couple of times i just messaged her are you okay everything good yeah, yeah everything. comes in like clearly distraught like like and i'm like you seem like i told her i just call it out you know i'm like you seem like just very like terrified of something like is everything okay and she's like, oh, well, you know, I was out uh, to dinner with a, a friend of mine who I guess, I guess her friend lives here or whatever. And my friend just looked at me and said that she thinks I was botched and that, you know, that, that I need to get a second opinion. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm mean, like, people fly to me for this surgery. It's like one surgery that I, I mean, I write articles and literature about, like, I, I know it really, really well. And I do it like about five times a week these days um, and if there's an issue I'll be the first to tell the patient that hey something's not not going well here you know but she looked perfectly fine for one week you know so 
I couldn't hold back like my emotions. So I told her, I'm like, your friend was way out of line. Like, like this is your healing is, is completely appropriate for this time point. And, and I just called out her friend. I'm like, yeah. I'm not sure what kind of friend that is because yeah, wow, I'm surprised you know, that, it, yeah. in recovery, it's a very sensitive time for people, you know? Um, and if in our facelift literature, there are like documented um, high rates of depression in patients as they're recovering because they went in trying to look prettier and now they're all bruised up, swollen, mm -hmm. you know, things are pulled up and, and they're just trying to kind of cope with the recovery. So lip lift surgery on a smaller scale is kind of still like that. Um, so for someone to come in and just kind of kick you in a way when you're, when you're down and recovering, yeah. it's just, it's just, it was, it was horrible. So I got all worked up for myself because, you know, you don't want to hear those kinds of words um, mm -hmm. spoken about you, especially when it, because, you know, it's just totally irrelevant. Um, but also because that's like so unfair for my patient to hear that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but, but yeah. whatever. That well, what you said before about, um, and again, there's, it's a middle ground here, right? You're going to have patients who are, you know, perfectly like psychologically sound and people who do have issues. But I think it's naive to think like, you know, for somebody who says, oh, like nobody needs to do any of this. It, it's the same reason that like we said, going to the gym and, and wanting to have a better body or physique. It's naive to think that how you look doesn't matter in this world. Like it absolutely does. Right. And, and whether you want it to, even if you're perfectly okay with how you look, like yeah. the, I guess, unfortunate or fortunate reality is people absolutely treat people differently based yeah. on a lot of things, status and, and how they look is certainly one of them. Um, but also I remember I've seen, I'm sure you're way more familiar with the literature than I am, but I've, I've seen uh, papers showing increased levels of happiness after plastic surgery. And, and successfulness too. Um, yeah. Lisa Ishii out of um, uh, Johns Hopkins uh, writes about this and has published on um, different types of surgery. She's facial plastics as well. So she's got articles on hair transplant actually, mm -hmm. on um, rhinoplasty and facelift surgery, and I'm sure many others. But she looks at those metrics on not just how someone's judged in terms of uh, do they look like better, but, but how successful they are too, and a few other metrics. Mm -hmm. And they all go up essentially with, you know, sound, good, you know, surgery. So, so yeah. So, I mean, exactly to your point, it, it's very, very real. And some people, I guess, you know, are just super comfortable in their shoes. They don't really think about what others, you know, think of them. And yet it might still be impacting them. Right. And they may not even know that, you know, so, so it's super naive and, and kind of ignorant and not really, you know, seeing the big picture. Um, but again, it's not like, I don't feel like people need these things. I just feel that um, there are plenty of people that are helped by these types of procedures when, you know, they're properly selected for the right surgeries. And when those surgeries are done correctly, I mean, there, there are different ways to do surgeries, but there are certain, you know, quote unquote, wrong ways too. So there are different right ways, but there are some wrong ways. Um, so, you know, choosing the right technique, choosing the right suture material. I mean, all those things play, play a role. Absolutely. So um, last thing I wanted to ask you about, are you familiar? Well, I'm sure you've at least heard of, it, of Kybella. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, um, you know, I see this indicated for people basically getting rid of fat, like the mental fat pad here. Um, it's funny because I, 
had heard about that. And then I started seeing people again in like the kind of underground fitness world say, well, it gets rid of fat there. Let's put it other places. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know your opinion of it. I looked into it just a little bit. And my understanding is it's just deoxycholic acid. And I could be extrapolating way too far here. But the studies I've seen suggest that deoxycholic acid correlates strongly with colon cancer. And if they put it in the, uh, the feed of like mice and stuff like that, it will cause more colon cancer. So, um, but I've seen no indication of that as far as actually applying it in patients or anything. So just, I'm not that informed on it and just wondered your thoughts. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's been correlated for like the FDA approved indications for, you know, um, Kybella or deoxycholic acid. Um, now, if you're injecting it in different places, could that potentially, especially in, in high doses, play a role with coin? Maybe, um, you know, deoxycholic acid and, you know, I'm not a expert exactly in all the, the, um, the, the workings with the intestines and where, but it, I mean, sure. it, it is, it is in, I think it's in the, in the, either in the stomach or the, or the, um, small intestine. I mean, where, where it's breaking down, you know, food, it like, you know, breaks right. down fats in food. Um, and so maybe at, at higher concentrations, you know, I, you can imagine maybe it, it could be harmful for the inner lining and, and, and lead to maybe some colon cancer. That, that's my only kind of um, train of thought on that. But in terms of like, uh, you know, these other types of applications of, of deoxycholic acid and could that then increase your chance? I, I have no idea. I don't necessarily think that that's been studied well. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe there's some truth to that. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, even as far as it, as it goes in here in the submental region, I'm not a fan of it, uh, partly because it's expensive. So mm-hmm. you need like several doses right. months apart. Uh, people get significant swelling, much more than liposuction mm-hmm. um, after the injections, just from the, the severe kind of inflammation, it's harder to control. Because right. it's just like, you know, you're putting it in these different spots, but the exact spread of the liquid, it's just a, a little bit harder to control. So my preference and then other options for that region would be like cool sculpting mm-hmm. um, or uh, which like freezing the fat away or, or liposuction. And I'm definitely more of a liposuction guy because I can really control where that cannula is going, how much fat is being removed there. Um, and, and I think it's overall not any really more expensive than than getting multiple sets of injections and it's kind of a one and done thing right and the recovery is definitely not worse than kybella um and and i think it's actually less painful because we numb up the whole area with lidocaine and then i put Mm -hmm. a tumescent solution in with marcaine it's it's pretty comfortable so um yeah that that's my go-to and what i always tell people just since we're on the subject is that it's only going to address the sub um, subcutaneous fat. And so the degree of improvement, I quote usually about 20, 30% tops for people. Yeah. Because I just don't want them to go in with like high expectations. They're not going to get a recreated, you know, super acute angle, mm-hmm. um, cervical metal angle. The only way to do that is with deep neck surgery, which I offer, but it's like a much bigger process, <laughs> more risk, uh, more downtime, more expensive general anesthesia. 
uh, drains afterwards for a few days. I mean, it's, wow. it's a real process. That's the only way to really recreate an acute angle in, uh, in people. So um, I just kind of let people know that, that that subcutaneous fat is just a portion of what is um, sort of like manifesting as like a full neck. And sometimes in older people, it's laxity as everything is dropping down. So there's a lot of skin laxity. But in younger people with like a heavier neck, it's a lot of that deep, like deep fat, deep muscle, you know, beyond the platysma. So whatever, maybe it's going off topic. But no, I mean, I I think it's super interesting. Um, And, and, you know, maybe we can get you back on to talk specifics of that. But yeah, there's there's a lot. I've seen people get uh, buccal fat pad removal, right? And yeah, I got um, some thoughts on that, too. Yeah, yeah, I, I I generally don't recommend it. it. Sounds like you probably agree. Um, no, you know, I started my practice doing it, um, even though I didn't have like a ton of exposure to it in my training, just, you know, by the nature of just where I trained, they weren't doing a ton of that, but I, I saw some of it. Uh, and I just, I didn't enjoy doing the surgery. And then I started asking around and a lot of the senior guys, at least in my field, don't offer it. And it, it's for good reasons. And there's been many studies on it. It's actually the type of fat that generally does not um, resorb or atrophy with time. Mm-hmm. So later on, when our faces kind of thin out, right. um, more age. That, yeah, that, that fat actually keeps you from in most cases, unless it prolapses, I mean, there are some unique situations, but, but most of the time that actually is going to keep you from looking too sunken in. Mm-hmm. So you get it early in life, you're going to regret it later on. Um, that's a B. There are some important nerves around there, uh, branches of the facial nerve, and they can yeah. get dinged. I've, I've, I've done that once. Uh, luckily, it came back. It's usually temporary, but still, that's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, three, it's not a very comfortable procedure to um, go through under local anesthesia, which is how it's usually done. Because right. you can numb up, as you know, like the buccal mucosa, but then the deeper stuff, you can't numb it up. Mm-hmm. And so you're digging in there for that fat and it's, it's uncomfortable for patients. Um, and it's like, it's easy to overshoot and then again, make it too sunken. And it's also easy to go in there and like not really dig out anything yeah. and just search around and then come out pretty much empty handed or get something that you want. You, you, you may, you force yourself to believe that it's, the buckle fat, right, right. Never even reached it or, or just didn't find it. So, um, and then you have to try to do the same exact thing on the other side. Yeah, uh, I, don't, no, I, I think it could be a mess for sure. I mean, I've seen some before and afters of people who, and maybe somebody who like, okay, you got like a, um, I've seen a lot of like Asian descent women where thin body, but just really full faces. And then I'll, I'll see them get pretty good improvement. Um, but even then, you know, there, I think a lot of these before and afters, they have other facial liposuction going on and, and things. And it's like you said, the risks there and, you know, the other, um, the nerves and, and arteries there, there's, there's a lot of potential complications. Yeah, so I tried it, um, had a few situations that I just was not happy with and said, you know what, I'm just not going to offer that anymore. And, and I just stopped, you know, and, and it was tough because like, you know, you're starting out and I actually had a few results like posted online so people were contacting us about this procedure. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I had this, it was, it was the only procedure where I, I would go in and just feel like, I just, I just would just feel so anxious about it mm-hmm. because I was like, well, what if I get the fat pad on one side and don't get it on the other side? And, 
And then just that digging around component of it and like knowing that the patient's uncomfortable just like kind of killed me. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't like that feeling, the feeling that I had, you know, going into surgery. So I said, it's just for so many reasons, I'm just not going to offer. And we still get people calling and we just tell them, you know, we don't do that. So for sure, for sure. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I know yeah, it's late. You're driving good. everything yeah. today. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So where can people find more of your stuff? Yeah. So, you know, the YouTube channel is pretty active. So just search my name, Gary Linkov. It'll come up or the practice name. The practice is City Facial Plastics. Uh, I'm the only doc in the practice, but uh, I decided when I started it to just kind of have a name that's separate from like my name um, mm-hmm. just for, for the future. And, and just, I don't know. Um, that's just the way I did it. So, so yes, yeah, so we always have both, um, present Instagram at Dr. Gary NYC. And then my website has people forget about the website. You know, they, they go and they're, they're like, Oh, how come we only have like three pictures? It's like, did you see the gallery? Like on the right. website, <laughs> cityfacialplastics.com. That's like, you know, has everything. Um, and that all of our contact is on, on there. So it's, it's not hard to get in touch. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you. Well, I'll have your YouTube, Instagram, website, and the uh, link for Operation Smile down below. Thanks so much. And I look forward to collaborating more in the future, Dave. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do something fun. Absolutely.